Hi, and welcome to our first uh, Correlation Conversations of 2022. I'm Jason Utah, and today I'm joined by Isaac Udendal from Old Mutual Wealth. Welcome to our Kickstart session, Isaac. How are you? Hi, Jason. Yeah, so sorry about the delay in getting the podcasts out. I just wanted to just, we've had technical issues that I've needed to sort out. So hopefully going forward, um, they will be more frequent. But today, chatting to Isaac, it's really been an eventful first quarter. Um, and I'm not quite sure where to start. And where I think I'm going to start is a story that you've just told me about a magic desk at your school where you went up to the teacher and you needed to ask a few questions and the teacher just stared at you until you came up with your own answers. So I'm going to ask you, it's been a hell of a quarter. What's going on for you guys and what's happening in the world of uh, asset management and what are we looking at? Really, it's been, where do we start? Yeah, no, it's, 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 been, it's been a very, very eventful couple of weeks. Um, Look, the obvious thing is, 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 is clearly the thing that's dominating the, the headlines, and that's the war, uh, Russia's invasion of the Ukraine, and the impact on commodity prices, you know, and that is, that is felt globally because, you know, we all need to eat and we all need to move from point A to point B. So, so every single person in the world is affected by this. Um, when you discuss commodity prices, sorry, just to interrupt you there. I mean, what is the big commodity that uh, Russia has, and 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 what 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 commodities are they actually impacting on? It's 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 surprisingly broad. Now, Russia is obviously known as an oil and gas producer. Um, so, oil and you, gas. Sorry, and I think Ukraine was maize, weren't there? Yeah. So okay. so so that's what I'm saying. It's surprisingly broad because because Russia produces oil and gas primarily, but it's also a big exporter of coal. It's a big exporter of palladium, aluminium, nickel. Then Russia and Ukraine combined uh, produce something like a third of the world's wheat, uh, a lot of maize. Um, obviously, those very fertile plains around the around the Black Sea, um, but also big producers of the components of fertilizers so so you know it's not just affecting current prices but also if you think about farmers that have to plant now and have to buy fertilizers those prices have also gone up um and and then compounding things russia is also a big producer of refined diesel so they produce oil but also you know they refine it into diesel so it's a whole bunch of things that that get impacted by um by the war by the sanctions against russia um, also, just by companies and you know not wanting to do business with Russia, whether they're sanctioned or not, they yeah. just decided we don't we don't want to buy from Russia. So, so all of that has had an impact on on commodity prices. It's it's created a scarcity of commodity prices. Um, and remember, things were already pretty pretty tight last year in terms of supply demand. You know, commodity prices were already quite yeah. elevated. Yeah. This year, they've just, they've just shot up. Um, and and that that obviously has a whole bunch of kind of knock on impacts. The first is is that you and I and everybody else spends more on these things and has less money to spend on everything else. Yeah. Um, so so that erodes the purchasing power of of consumers everywhere. Uh, it erodes margins for businesses. So that's the first impact. The second impact is in terms of inflation because obviously the the you know these things feed into inflation rates, and then central banks start worrying about. How should we respond 
and, and raise interest rates. Now, of course, last year already, long before this conflict, inflation rates were rising globally and already still ridiculously low. They came from very low levels and then they started rising very, very sharp. So, so, so just to give you an example, at the moment in the US, the inflation rate is 8%, which is actually higher than in South Africa. And, and what makes it unusual is because, I, suppose, I mean, in South Africa, we're used to pretty high inflation. Yeah, you know, 8% would not is high, but it wouldn't scare us. But in America, they inflation has averaged less than 2%. Exactly. No, previous, that's quite a, I mean, over the previous quite decade. A... Yeah. So now it's shot up and now um, and now it's compounded by the, the commodity prices that have that have increased since the war. So the net the net result is you now you're now entering into an interest rate cycle in America. So the, the American Central Bank, the Fed. Um, about a week or two ago, started raising interest rates for the first time um, since COVID hit, and and they have indicated that they will continue raising rates for the remainder of this year into next year, and and rates will go from basically zero all the way to about two and a half percent. So this based on the was already a discussion have. that everyone was concerned about and, and toying with that idea already last year, saying well. What are they going to be doing? There was already talk around in uh, the U.S. raising rates last year. Yes, yeah. So, so this is not completely unexpected. I think the big issue is is the extent to which the interest rates go up. So, exactly. so the fact that they will go up is is kind of baked in. But it's it's how far do they go up? How quickly do they go up? And I think the other important thing is, do they continue going up even if growth, economic growth, slows? Because right. as I said, you know, economic growth is under pressure because of because of the war in Ukraine, but inflation is high. So, what, what do the central banks respond to? Do they do they respond to inflation or do they respond to weakening growth? And I think the message they've given us in the last couple of weeks is we 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 are focusing more on inflation now. What so, made so them choose that, that route? Well, because I think they're worried that inflation at these kind of levels become can become self-sustaining if people if people believe that inflation will be like this going forward. In other words, it's a, it's a whole idea of what they call inflation expectations. If, if you expect high inflation, your behavior will reflect that. You will, um, you, you know, for instance, if you're going into a, a rental agreement, you will put in a 10% escalation because you think that's going to be what inflation is. If you think okay. inflation is going to be 5%, then your rental expectation is also going to be around 5%. So, so, so it can become self-fulfilling. And that's what they're worried about, is they're worried about people assuming that these inflation rates remain. Um, and, and, and therefore, therefore, you know, they're responding with interest rates. And I think it's important to remember interest rates are coming off historically low levels. So in the case of the US, it was zero. Yeah. In, in Europe at the moment, interest rates are still negative. So we, we're coming off these very, very low, almost absurdly low levels of interest rates. So in, in one sense, they're just trying to get us back to something that resembles normality. Um, but of course, there's a tipping point where you go from being normal to being too high. And 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 in the current world, we, we're not sure where that tipping point is, you know, because the the, the world is a is a different place these days. And and the fear. The fear is that they 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 kind of reach that tipping point and they go past that tipping point. Um, so how do you as analysts actually start saying, fine, let's have a look at different scenarios and start, I mean, let's not go into the fun build now. I mean, this yeah. for a different conversation, but really what are the sort of things that one would be looking at and to say, all right, well, 
how do we plan for these different scenarios? I know that the biggest rule of investing is be diversified. Yeah. But everything seems to be like, where do you go? Yeah. No, that that is that is important. I mean, the 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 diversification helps because you need to think about how different asset classes would respond to an environment where interest rates go up aggressively. Um, so which which asset classes are most exposed? Maybe that's the first place you start to, you know, which ones are most exposed. And and um, we've already seen global bonds take an absolute beating this year. Um, and, 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 and so luckily, as South African investors, we typically don't own global bonds because we can get very good yields domestically. So most South African investors have actually been spared the bloodbath that was the global bond market in 2021 and 2022. Um, so, so that's, I think that's, that's one bit. Then, then you look within the equity universe and you can say, look, some companies are more exposed than others. Um, and, and again, particularly the companies that have struggled this year have been those ones that, you know, we, we tend to call growth companies in the sense that they are, they are companies that grow their earnings a lot every year. And therefore, if you look out 10 years into the future and you try and bring those earnings back, you know, what's the present value of those future earnings today? Using a low interest rates, those future earnings become a lot more valuable. So those companies tended to be very popular over the last couple of years when interest rates were very low. Um, and I'm here specifically referring to the big technology companies, yeah. um, you know, the Microsofts, the Apples, the Facebooks and so on. And those companies have struggled this year. Because now in a higher interest rate environment, um, those future earnings are slightly less valuable. Loaded, yeah. And maybe you are focused more on companies that can benefit from um, higher inflation. Because obviously, if you, you know, inflation, one, one man's inflation is another man's income. So there are yeah. companies that benefit from inflation. There are companies that benefit from selling food and, and other items um, in, into, into the consumer market. So those are the kind of things you want to you take into account. Um, so, and then okay. obviously you also need to think about as a South African investor, what does this mean for your, you know, sort of your local versus global mix um, and particularly the RAND and maybe the, the RAND is, is, is an interesting thing we can talk about because normally when there's a global kind of crisis, the RAND tends to weaken um, yeah. as we saw, as we saw two years ago with, with yeah. COVID, you know, the RAND fell very sharply, but now this time around there's this war and instead of falling, the rand has actually strengthened. Um, it's been pretty stable, actually. It's 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 been remarkably strong. Uh, yeah, or, or let's call it resilient um, yes. in the face of this global uncertainty. And as I said, that is quite unusual. Normally, normally the rand is your your number one indicator of risk. When the rand starts moving wildly, you know you know things are afoot. Yeah. Um, but 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 because of those high commodity prices and South Africa obviously also being a big exporter of commodities, coal, iron ore, gold, palladium, and so on, um, the rand has actually has actually done pretty well. That's so, also um, I was going to actually ask you. I mean, uh, I know that we on the rand discussion, but afterwards, if we can come back to the commodities, I am quite interested in how hmm. because you spoke about Russia's commodities being maize, oil. Um, coal and uh, we we kind of supply the same thing. We don't have the oil, but we've got the maize and yeah. the coal. Yeah, yeah. So so in a nutshell, the prices of those things have gone up, um, and and that has that has supported the currency. Um, 
in two ways. Number one is because we export more of these things, so that gives you more dollar income, which you then translate into rands. Um, but also from a sentiment point of view, global investors kind of look around and say, okay, well, the, the price of commodities are up, which currencies will benefit? And they say, yeah. well, there are a couple of commodities, like South Africa, Australia, Canada, Brazil, those are your commodity currencies. So they almost automatically go up because you know, there's an algorithm in the back end that says if if price of oil does this, then buy, you know, buy these currencies or buy these bonds. You know, so so these things are, are often linked just through through sentiment, but there is also an underlying strong economic link. Um, so yeah, so the fact that the RAND is, is quite is, is quite strong also gives you a sort of a a different um, a different result in this very uncertain environment because because again normally when when the U.S. interest rates go up um, you would expect the dollar to strengthen and all the other currencies to weaken because U.S. interest rates go up and it sucks capital in from the rest of the world and and that kind of pulls down the currencies of all the other countries but again this time around not yet you know the, the the fed is hiking but but the rand has been has been has been pretty stable so i think that that is a that is another dimension in this in this environment to um to take into account because because then you know that also then leads into your your domestic interest rate outlook um what is our domestic interest rand, rate outlook yeah because as long as the rand is not falling apart completely the reserve bank the south african reserve bank doesn't have to slam on the brakes in terms of interest rates. Um, it, it, it is hiking. It has already hiked three times, and um, it'll probably hike another three or so times this year. But, but you know, it's, that's small change compared to what some other emerging markets have been doing, where, where rates have literally just been shot up. Shot up. Um, to use the example of Brazil, I mean, they went from 2% a year ago, and they're now sitting at almost 12%. Sure, in one year. So you know, imagine you took out a home loan at 2% last year, thinking everything's hunky-dory, and now the interest rates have gone up to almost 12%. So that's that's brutal. Um, and and we're, not, we're not seeing anything like that in South Africa because, as I said, the RAND is fairly well-behaved. Um, and also inflation in South Africa is still, is still pretty well-behaved as well. Um, you know, obviously, the, again, the petrol price has gone up a lot. Food prices have gone up. But if you exclude those... Um, and we don't exclude those because I mean, obviously we all buy those things. But if you just want to look at kind of more underlying causes of inflation, um, obviously food and fuel are external. You know, those are prices that are set in the, the, the global the global market. Okay. So, you know, they're not set domestically. But if you look at prices that are set domestically, where domestic supply and demand interact, um, for instance, in the rental market, you know, you're yeah. always going to rent something from... Yeah. In the local market from a local, you know, their inflation is still pretty low. And I think that that tells you that um, the Reserve Bank doesn't have to overreact. So I'm hoping they don't overreact to, to, <laughs> to happening. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a tendency there in the Reserve Bank to there's, there's very much sort of a conservative bent to the Reserve Bank. They, they you know, they, they, they don't need much of an excuse to raise interest rates. But I'm, but I'm hoping they'll, they'll take it easy. On on the commodity side, in terms yeah. of the coal and the, are we are we benefiting in any way from it? Mm-hmm. I know that you said that yeah. um, the exports uh, we are exporting more, and uh, obviously there's a supply and demand 
but really how how are we doing in terms of that i mean there's got to be opportunity for us yeah no so it's 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 a big deal and it's not just now in the war it's basically since sort of late 2020 so as 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 we came out of the very hard lockdown suddenly commodity prices shot up everywhere around the world and and that 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 really saved South Africa because at that point our prospects were bleak, yeah. really really bleak. And then suddenly we've got this this fantastic um, tailwind in terms of commodities because what it does is number one, as I said, it, it helps the currency, so it kind of keeps interest rates low. But the the big benefit has been for for government's finances because obviously the mining companies, you know, their costs are fixed. So as soon yeah. as as soon as um, the price goes up, they become very profitable. And um, and so so those profits feed into company tax for for government's point of view. So so suddenly the, the you know we were talking about you, you know government's debt to GDP ratio hitting a hundred percent two years ago. We you know that the latest projections put us at about seventy five percent. So so it's a very different outlook in terms of government debt. Um, and 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 that obviously feeds through into the outlook for for bonds. As well, but that's huge. I mean, that's a huge impact for for our economy. For for the sort of the proverbial man on the street, of course, the palladium price doesn't really matter. Yeah. Um, you and I don't buy palladium or sell palladium, so so that that kind of is is up here at a macro level. You and I care a lot more about the the, the petrol price and the price of bread. Yeah. Um, but it still helps the economy as a whole because because we we benefit from these from these export these export revenues. Unfortunately, the the, the one thing that we haven't got right is um, so I used to talk about coal. So the coal price is at record levels, but South African coal exports in volume terms, so in other words, the, the actual ton tonnage of coal exports has been falling, and that's because of the problems at Transnet. You know the, the the rails, all the cable theft, and so on. So we haven't actually been able to export more coal to benefit from these higher prices. We, we've actually exported slightly less. And that was we're really still getting more money because the price. Yeah, we're still getting more money because the price is so high, but we, we we're not increasing the the volume. So so that is something that we need to address quite quite urgently. So obviously, I mean, we, the opportunity is there for us to be exporting the, more. The opportunity, it's a missed opportunity. Uh, and, and you need to get those volumes up because I don't I don't think the, the price will last at these levels. I mean, obviously the price is distorted by the war. And and you know, we don't know how long the war is going to last, but you, you know, let's hope it doesn't last more than you know a couple of weeks. And then hopefully some of these prices can start can start normalizing again. Sure. So it really has been uh, very eventful. I mean, if you and I was at a talk um not so long ago, and they were actually saying the South African economy is looking pretty solid at the moment. It is looking a lot better than we thought, as I said, about two years ago, when, yeah. on a number of fronts, not just so, so government finance is looking better, as I said, the currency is better, the export outlook is better. Some of these reforms that government is undertaking, these things are starting to slowly come through. Um, Load look going at, down. <laughs> load, sh- load shedding <laughs> is is still around, but but there's there's light at the end of the tunnel. Excuse the pun. Um, yeah. So so yeah, I, th- I think I think things are sort of gradually moving in the right direction. And um, yeah, I mean, if you look at the, the sort of the growth forecast for the next couple of years, they're sort of around two percent, which doesn't sound exciting. But remember that from where that we've come, sort of, 
from where we've come, right? So in, in 2020, we fell 6%. And in the previous couple of years, we were growing at about half a percent. So, so, yeah. to, so if you can grow around 2% per year, that's a huge difference from, from what, what we actually become used to. And, and I remember all of the pessimism that we have is built on that very low growth rate. You know, so as soon as you start growing a bit better, then I think the pessimism starts um, dissipating. So I would like to say thank you so much for the chat. I mean, I'd rather end on the, the positive side to, to, to what's going on. And really, I think this is a good place to say, all right, well, our economy is uh, pretty stable. It is in a better position than where we were. Growth is slowly increasing. We do have opportunity in terms of exports, but we need to address that in a, in a hurry. And um, yeah, the world's in, as I said, it, as you said, it's in a messy place. And um, what? It's nothing other, nothing else that we can do other than ride this wave. But thank you so much. Sure, that's an absolute pleasure. Cool, and I'm looking forward to our catch up again in about two weeks' time. Yeah, yeah, let's do that.